0: Hello everybody and you're joining us once again for another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm here with my friend Joe. Hey there guys. And today we're going to be taking you through some of the wildcard games that we saw last week, which I think for the most part, Joe, were a lot of fun.
1: Some real good games. Some real good, super wildcard weekend, did not disappoint.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll of course be giving you our predictions for what we think is going to take place in the next round of the playoffs. And then towards the end, we'll give a little bit of an update on the bracket situation. I think we'll make it really swift, Joe. I don't think we'll linger <laughs> on it.
1: That's Joe Perfect Bracket Simpson. I'll have you know, please. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you're using a ghostwriter to pull those picks. if I'm being honest.
1: I just don't want to share the podcast with anyone else but you, mate. That's all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yeah, we'll just do a little section for shout outs at the end there. So... Without further ado, let's crack on with the first game. And I think, Joe, the one that we probably most want to talk about and the one that provided the most entertainment was Browns 48, Steelers 37. Let's get into that.
1: Just absolute wow. I was watching this and I'm not going to lie. There were times when I was just laughing out loud in that first quarter. I was giggling watching this game. It's not something I've had watching a game of football for a long time. Incredible first half. I mean, the Steelers... They still haven't played a full game of football, basically, since sometime in November. It stands still about one half football against the Colts, and they've just been abysmal aside from that. They came out. You can't even really blame it on the rookies. It was pouncy to Roethlisberger to start the game, and that set the tone. And those two vets, well, Roethlisberger never really recovered at all. I know he threw for 501 yards, but it took him sixty-eight attempts, so it's not like he was balling four interceptions. He looked lost out there at times. Incredible, incredible game. Where do you start?
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the snap, that first snap is probably a good place to start. I think what had me rolling more than that was the fact that the ball settled before the end zone. And was it Connor? And Roethlisberger just stood there looking at it. They could have just pounced on that and taken the loss, but they just, they both stood there and sort of expected the other person to jump on it. And, and the brands just went, yeah, we'll have that then.
1: It was 100% Connor who should have been jumping on that ball. He didn't. And look, what's crazy about this is basically everyone who's been involved in the, what can you really call it, apart from a comedy of errors for Pittsburgh, every single one of those guys just may not be their next team. Pouncy could be a salary cap casualty. Connor, it never really looked like they were going to go with him for another year. He's not been a good running back for this team, and that's part of the reason why they have so many problems, but he's not going to be there next season in all likelihood. Taken away, you know, the great story about him coming back from illness and stuff, that's great, but he's not produced on the field. Roethlisberger, now, it's going to be a game of cat and mouse for the next few weeks, but I don't expect him to be coming back. I think that's it for him, and I think the reaction he had on the bench afterwards was indicative of how he thinks things are going to play out next year.
0: Yeah. I think the theme of this podcast is going to be, should have listened to Joe. So let's kick it off for here and now. You mentioned it already. You know, this is something that you've been saying for weeks now that the Steelers are a team without a run game and they're a team that cannot play an entire game of football from start to finish. And we saw this against the Colts where they were miserably behind and then they managed to pull off that comeback, but... This game was not one of those games and I think my reservation going into this in terms of picking the Browns was Mayfield. I wasn't convinced that he was he's a complete enough quarterback yet to take on the Steelers team, but the reality is Mayfield didn't even he barely needed to suit up. The Steelers did this all to themselves.
1: The Steelers did this all to themselves, but I think that the way that Mayfield played, particularly towards the end of the third quarter and going into the fourth quarter, was an extremely mature performance there because it would have been very, very tempting for the Browns when they were kind of up by 12 and there was that dodgy moment where there was about 10 minutes on the clock and the Steelers had mounted a bit of a comeback to think, are we just going to ground this ball out and just try to go with Chubb and Hunt all the way for the rest of this game? And at that point, that's when Mayfield was picking up a lot of... 10, 15 yard, 20 yard passes, which just kind of ended the game. So, yeah, so don't be wrong, they had a 28 0 first quarter, and after that, it would have been, you know, hard for any team to come back. But I think that Mayfield, I think his performance towards the end there, extremely mature. That was my view on it. Hmm. And so I wouldn't belittle what he did there or say that he, he didn't have to play his part. He played a great part. He did what he had to do. Yeah, I
0: mean, you mentioned 28 points in the first quarter, new record for playoff football. The Browns haven't been in the playoffs for so long. What a way to make an entrance, eh?
1: Steelers have never conceded 28 points in the first quarter of any game in their history. Ben Roethlisberger has never been beaten by the Cleveland Browns at home. He's been in the league for a long time, since 2004. Never lost to the Browns at home. I mean, the stars aligned for the Browns, but boy, they took their chance and and they deserved every part of it. And you know what? I'm going to say this. I like to stay neutral, especially when your team's not in the playoffs. It's nice to be neutral. It's nice to just watch the football, not worry about your team getting beaten and just enjoying the games. I was glad that Pittsburgh got beat. I'd probably go as far as saying right now, and I'm sure that the listeners who are Pittsburgh fans will maybe come at me and uh, and say different. But I'm going to go out there and say that the Pittsburgh Steelers are the most hated team in the National Football League right now. And it mainly comes down to their TikTok crew. I'm talking Juju. I'm talking Deontay. I'm talking Chase Claypool. Juju's been made to look an idiot this year, an absolute idiot. They're dancing on other teams' logos. He tries to make it lighthearted and stuff, but that revs teams up. And, you know, Chase Claypool coming out on social media, on TikTok, again, the TikTok crew, coming out on TikTok yesterday and saying, yeah, it was a bad beat, but the Browns are getting smacked next week, so it's all good. I mean, that's a terrible attitude. It's a terrible, terrible attitude. Such a sore loser. It's not even just a sore loserness. it's playing it down You got it handed to you. Don't come out with that smack. Go back on the practice field, shut up, and go and beat them next year. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I was glad to see them get beat, and I'm happy for the Browns. I'm happy for the fans. I'm just sad that they couldn't have a full stadium, because when you've been out of playoffs and out of playoff wins for as long as the Browns have, it would have been nice for all their fans to be there.
0: Yeah, completely. I mean, we talked last week about some of the light-hearted banter that was going on with Young and Brady and Bruce Arians. You know, that was a... That was a young player that was excited to play against Tom Brady. Tom, I'm coming for you. It was a bit of a joke. Juju, there was a bit of nastiness behind what he was saying, you know, just saying, look, it's the Browns. It's the same old Browns we always beat. There was a real talking down there.
1: But there's this culture coming through the Pittsburgh Steelers for Juju to say that prior to the game, for Chase Claypool to still be coming out and saying this stuff now. You've got beaten. You've been a really, really bad football team for over a month now. And you're still just coming out with all of this chat. The culture at the Steelers has big issues. It's got big, big problems. And Juju Smith-Schuster doesn't just have egg on his face. He's not going to be a Steeler next year. Okay. He was not responsible solely for the Browns winning. Him just getting the Browns kind of hyped up and giving them some, you know, bulletin board kind of stuff to whack up there and say, this is what they're saying about us. Let's go and show him. That wasn't reason enough, but it contributed. And he's been doing stuff like this all season, dancing on the Bengals logo and getting smacked. He's been doing this all season, and it's just been winding other teams up and making them play with that extra little bit of spite because of idiots like Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool. Yeah. He played well in this game, 157 yards, but I mean, he should do when he had, you know, like 19 targets. He's not been a good enough wide receiver one. The Steelers have other options. He's not playing in Pittsburgh next year. You can write that down.
0: Yeah. And then more of the, I should have listened to Joe. You asked the question a while back now, whether I thought Stefanski, potential coach of the year. I wasn't convinced at the time. In fact, I was very high on Mike Tomlin. I think this game, and not just this game, but I think Stefanski, I know he wasn't the one calling the plays on the day, but this is all in the preparation of what he's been working on with the team all week and how he's brought the Browns from where they were to where they are now is massively impressive and I would be very very surprised if he doesn't take that accolade.
1: It was a perfect match with the personnel that the Browns have the system that he likes to install like I said before going out there with 12 and 22 packages doing that kind of stuff it's just a kind of match made in heaven really and he's really elevated this team and I don't want to criticise players like Erdo Beckham Jr. Because it's unfair. He's not been playing. And who's to say that the Browns wouldn't have been even better with him on the field. But he's worked with what he's got there. And he's managed to install a culture. Where there, there isn't really that kind of superstar player there now. There's not that, you know, starred. Jarvis Landry had a great game. But he's not in that kind of elevated sphere that some other players in the league are. But they're a team. They're a team that's pulling to each other. They seem to like to be the underdog. And they've really made it work. I think that the coaching at the Browns has been great this year. You know, he might not get coach of a year. He might not. But I think that he'd definitely be deserving if he does.
0: Yeah. Right. So the Browns progress. They have to face the mighty Chiefs. How do we see this going down, Joe?
1: Oh, it, so, look, what will be important for the Browns, I think, is basically staying in it in the first, the first half. Because as good as this team are, They are a team, and this is is the same for a few teams, they're a team that plays better in front rather than chasing things. They've got some good players out there, you know, your Jarvis Landrys, your Higginses, Austin Hoopers, but they want to play with the personnel they like playing, 12 and 22. They like to run the ball, they like to ground and pound. If Kansas City go out there early, go two, three scores in front, it won't go back and they won't have a chance. If it's close going into the end of the third, then who knows? That said, I'm going to be honest, I like this Browns team. They did great against the Steelers. I just think that the Chiefs are on a different level. And that's no disrespect to the Browns whatsoever. But I, I I can't see this being any closer than Chiefs by 10.
0: Yeah, I agree with a lot of those points. I think the Steelers did a lot of the damage themselves for the Browns. You make a very good point about the maturity of Mayfield and the game plan and the strategy that the Browns employed. I just don't think the Chiefs are going to give you the same opportunities that the Steelers did with their mistakes. So for that reason, I think Chiefs by 14.
1: Yeah. And if there's one kind of criticism to the Browns game on Sunday, it, it just was that kind of dodgy moment, probably what, uh, from the end of the second quarter through to the kind of middle of the third quarter, where the Steelers were basically scoring on every possession that they had, and the Browns had a series of free and outs, and the deficit there went from like 28-7 to 35-23 so they closed the gap there to about 12 points and there was a shaky moment where it just seemed that like the momentum had changed and it seemed to be a bit of a confidence thing so if the Browns are in front and playing well they're in with a chance but I think if Kansas City string together a couple of decent possessions maybe get an early score uh, I don't really see the Browns going back into it yep
0: yeah. Okay, so then next, probably one of the most interesting games, not necessarily the most exciting, but certainly one with plenty to talk about, was the Rams 30, Seahawks 20. We'll continue the theme of should have listened to Joe. (laughs) Do you you want to kick us off on this one?
1: Look, I, I could have been wrong on this one, but the way that I called it was that it would go like the first game. It could have gone like the first game, could have gone like the second game. This went like the first game, and basically the Rams defense was getting to Russell Wilson. And I mean, there were five sacks. There could have been a lot more because uh, you look at like the touchdown that Wilson scored going out to Metcalf. That could have very easily have been a sack had Wilson not been the quality of player that he is. So the Rams got five sacks. It could have been 10 and the defense, the defense was all over him. Such a cliche defenses win championships, defenses win wildcard weekends as well.
0: Uh, I'm not sure I've called a single NFC matchup right all year and this game was no exception as you pointed out the Seahawks o-line might as well not have been on the field the run defense was absolutely non-existent
1: did they have drew samia playing for them <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way i can explain it joe if if he was on the field
1: i'm sure that there was drew samia in disguise out there like it, it was a revolving door and yeah. maybe you get like a little bit kind of complacent when you've got a quarterback like russ wilson who can get himself out of danger but the O-line let them down badly.
0: Massively. You know, the Rams moved the chains at will through their run game. And then when it was a Seahawks turn on offense, Wilson had about a second to get the ball out of his hands or he was eating a sack. It really was that one-sided. And, and I think the kind of 30-20 scoreline maybe doesn't accurately reflect how one-sided this game was.
1: Yeah, it definitely felt less close. And I'm going to say as well, no disrespect to Goff. But the way that Wolford was moving the ball in the first couple of series, good, right? He was looking good. Yeah, he really was. And Wolford was was moving the ball down the field. Got injured after six attempts. Goff came on, and then Goff had a couple of like free and outs and it took Goff. I'd probably say until about the fourth quarter to kind of warm up and really start to, to like play. If Wolford had been on there playing at the level he was playing for those like, first two drives, it may not have been as close as what it was there. Yeah. But it, that doesn't really matter. Goff came on. He didn't do abysmal, but it, like I said, it just took him time to warm up. He, he wasn't good in the first half.
0: I want to talk about something briefly and get your view on it, because I, I feel like it might be something that you're quite familiar with. But Metcalf's outburst, that he wasn't seeing enough of the ball, might be something that you recognise from a Mr. Stefan Diggs in his Vikings days. And immediately after he kicked up a big fuss about not seeing the ball, you get the interception. Wilson forces the ball to him. It gets intercepted. And I just sat there thinking, just shut up about not seeing enough of the ball and accept the flow of the game and help out when you're able to help out. These players that kick up a stink that they're not seeing the ball, it often just leads to something really bad happening. And I think on top of that, I don't know if this was the case, but part of me felt that a stadium that isn't full of fans that big outburst is probably something that the Rams heard on their bench as well and I don't know if that played into the move for the interception but if you know a player as good as Metcalf is complaining about not seeing enough of the ball you're at least going to double down on your coverage of him to build on that frustration and to be honest that interception was really quite pivotal at that point in the game
1: was absolutely pivotal. And did you notice as well that this time Metcalf couldn't catch him? Darius Williams just (laughs) took the ball and he was gone. (laughs) Metcalf didn't get near. Darius Williams must have some pace. But you're right. It's a really good point. It's not one that even considered really. But yeah, the way that he threw his little tantrum, it may well have been picked up. And, you know, there's less distraction. So even if they maybe didn't hear word for word, they probably would have seen him and his demeanor there. Whether that led to the play, I'm not so sure. But certainly if Russell Wilson felt obliged to maybe force it a little bit. You know, he's an experienced quarterback. He's not going to force it to anyone that he doesn't want to. But if he was trying to give him a bit more ball, then yeah, that certainly could have been part of it. But like all of these things, they're a sideshow, really. At the end of the day, the Los Angeles D was on fire. Probably the best they played all year. Yeah. The front four was just making it out like the Olam wasn't there for the Seahawks. The secondary did what they had to do. I mean, John Johnson made a couple of... Really good plays, some pass breakups. Aaron Donald played like Aaron Donald. Two sacks, two tackles for losses. Rams played really well and they deserve it. And the Seahawks, there's this weakness in the Seahawks team. They are an unbalanced team. And the media tried to build a narrative that the defense had got better over the last few weeks. That they were you know fired up, that the run game was back. There wasn't evidence for that. And that's why I thought that this would go like the first game. The defence wasn't better. Yeah, they might have played some weaker teams and they might have not given up historically bad points, but they still weren't good. A question for you then.
0: Obviously, yeah. we saw Doug Peterson go this week. He left on Monday. Do you think that the Seahawks' performance this season and especially in this game may lead to a firing somewhere either for Pete Carroll or Brian Schottenheimer?
1: Pete Carroll, no, because I think that Pete Carroll... In all truth, is basically untouchable. Schottenheimer is a bit of a weird one, really. He was OC at the Jets during the time that the Jets have been terrible. He was OC back in 2012, back when he had like Mike Pettine in the team, and Shotty back then was leading a bad O. I think that Shotty's a likable guy, but he doesn't seem to really get results. And this is a bad O. It's not balanced. It's just been Russ Wilson really that's been bailing them out for so long.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Since recording this, Schottenheimer has indeed been fired. Great question, Charles. Thank you, Charles. And then the big news before we go into our prediction for Rams versus Green Bay is obviously Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, both injured in this match, along with Walford and Edwards. Talk is that everyone is day to day and the expectation is that they all could play. But I mean, I'd expect nothing less than cards close to your chest at this stage of postseason could have an impact.
1: Yeah, with those three players there, I think you've got to assume maybe that, you know, two probably won't play. Maybe your three won't play. But I mean, Aaron Donald is a tough guy. He wouldn't miss any playoff football. While it was still as close kind of scoreline as it was, he was in a lot of pain. All right, he, he didn't break his ribs, but the way he plays, that position you play, like, you know, if you're a centre or something and he's coming into you, it's just slapping him in the ribs. And I know that sounds cynical, but that's what you're going to do you don't need to hold him. You don't need to do anything illegal, but you block him in his ribs and you'll soon see if he's a hundred percent and he won't be. So these are going to have big influences next week. And, you know, it's his injuries really, which I think are going to be not going to be the deciding factor. Cause I think even a full strength Rams would struggle mightily against this Packers team, but they make me a lot more comfortable in saying that I think the Packers are going to win.
0: Okay. Well, I was going to give you my prediction first, Joe, because I don't want any accusations that I'm uh, I'm copying you here. But he- here's my view on it. I'm nervous as hell. Oppressive pass rush, solid run game. We know that these are the Packers Kryptonites.
1: The Kryptonite, yeah, yeah. But I think
0: as much as I worry about that, I feel like I have to trust the talent. You know, Goff or Wolford are not Rodgers. Akers is not Jones. Cup is not Adams nor is our O-line as bad as the Seahawks. So I think for all of those reasons combined, I'm going to back my team and I think Green Bay by 10.
1: Interesting. The only thing I'm going to add to this is when Donald went off, it didn't seem like the Rams D-line skipped a beat. Greg Gaines came on and, you know, he was getting pressure. And I know that's probably partly down to how bad the Seahawks O-line was, but they have depth there. And so if Donald isn't there, yeah, but that's a totemic... Huge player gone for them, but it's not the end of the world. One smaller factor, the Rams play in a division where they mainly play against 4-3 defenses. So they'll be playing a 3-4 against Green Bay. So it's something different that they've got to prep for, something they're a little bit less used to, which will make defending a little bit harder for them. What I would expect to see, I would expect to see Goff, if Goff starts, eating up a lot more sacks. And I think that the Green Bay pass rush will get to Goff because he'll be playing against schemes he's less used to. I think of all of the divisional games this week, this is probably the one I'm most comfortable with, and I'm going to go Packers by Packers by 17. Make a statement.
0: Okay, I like. I, hey, I love to hear it. I hope you're right over me.
1: <laughs> I just think there's so many things here which are now going against the Rams. Just every factor when you look through it. But look, they've done well to be the Seahawks. They've done well to get as far as they have. They can walk away with a head tie after how they looked towards the start of the season.
0: Absolutely. Next game then, shall we move on to Ravens 20, Titans 13. I mean, Lamar Jackson won MVP in 2019. He's led his team to the playoffs three times. And finally, for the first time, he's got himself a playoff win. So good for him.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's one of these things as well, which I think is so important because imagine had he not won that game.
0: Oh, that would plague him.
1: It's the lazy narratives that you get from media as well. I like to think that on this show, we try to have opinions that aren't based just on lazy narratives. But every media outlook, forevermore, every single game, will say, "Oh yeah, he's played a good game in this game," but you know, when it comes to player football at the end of the season, will we see playoff Lamar? And all, and that's all you'd ever hear. Yeah, yeah like, it's, it's just all you'd ever hear. So he, so he can put that to bed now, especially you know, as it wasn't smooth sailing, and the Ravens were what you know, ten nil down after the first quarter things definitely weren't going their way. He managed to take the game by the scruff of an neck, and it was him as well. Yeah, you know, it was. Him yeah. Long touchdown run. He took things on his shoulders and when the team wasn't necessarily playing great, he elevated the team, which is a mark of a great quarterback. So I'm glad that they can just put that narrative to bed now and that's not something that he'll have to, you know, deal with as much going forward.
0: Yeah. As you mentioned, when the Titans raced off to a 10 nothing lead without a Henry touchdown, I got very nervous Because this is something that we both said that both of these teams are two teams that don't like to chase. And when the Ravens went down to a passing touchdown, I thought, Oh dear, are we about to see something here where the Ravens are going to crumble? But they couldn't contain Jackson's running for a large part of the game. I think you've got to give a lot of credit to the Ravens defense who did a heroic job of containing and limiting Henry. And, in fairness to the Titans, they did the same for the most part for the Ravens' running backs, but just couldn't put a stop on Lamar himself. And the other thing that was really, really good to see was I think that the Ravens' game management towards the end of the game was exceptional. Lamar did a really good job of winding that clock down at the end. I mean, I feel like that final drive of his, they held onto it like four minutes or something.
1: Yeah, we did what we had to do there. But I mean... Going back to the Ravens' defence, there were a few things which they did. That first half, they were focusing on Henry, and they were still allowing Tannehill to get away with a few passes that perhaps they shouldn't have done. They made the adjustments. They made the adjustments in-game, and they kept doing what they were doing right, keeping Henry just absolutely tied up. But they worked out that passing game, and and they basically took away everything, which is so hard to do there, really, because they could have easily have seen, hey, we're getting beaten by Tannehill through, through the air here concentrated more on the secondary and then let Henry come into the game, which he's done so often. But they managed to balance both sides of this Titans team, which, you know, through most of the regular season, very few teams have been able to do. Like, you know, most teams haven't been able to do. So some really great coaching there. And then on the offensive side, to talk about coaching as well, they were cynical in that second half, just targeting the weak links. The touchdown and big gains that Jackson was throwing, he was targeting players like Khalif Raymond, short cornerbacks who... Might be like Nippy and Speed, but aren't perhaps the best coverage guys. And you, you could just see this. They were just targeting those weaker players and it's having great effects. Really good result for this Ravens team. But look, they're going to have a big challenge this week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So shall we move on to that game? Bills 27, Colts 24. This was the opening game of Wildcard Weekend and it was what a game to watch, Joe. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Uh, I think both quarterbacks covered themselves in glory here and it was a real shootout that went down to the wire.
1: Yeah, really, really good game. As you say, both quarterbacks played well. Josh Allen have a better rating, but I mean, Phil Rivers didn't do anything terrible. I
0: think Phil Rivers played well. I mean, when he had to, they were down by quite a bit and then he produced two passing touchdowns back to back to get his team back in the game. He played a commendable game.
1: And what I would say as well is that Phil Rivers was supported on the day by a better rushing attack as well. Taylor may not have had as huge a game as he had over the last few weeks, but he still had, you know, 78 yards on 21 carries. Hines chipped in with 75 yards on six carries, an average of over 10 yards a carry. You know, his he had his, you know, backs who were helping him there.
0: It's very interesting you should say that, because one of the points that I've noted down is that Colts did expose the Bills' run defence in this game. And I'm just wondering whether the Ravens can double down on that and potentially expose a weakness there because we know the Ravens are a very good run team. I mean, moving into the predictions from there, I don't know what to do here. I have bills in my bracket on on the old competition Super Bowl challenge, and I have money on them as well. So I want them to win. But I really do think the Ravens could walk away with this one by being defensively solid and hurting the bills in the run game. That being said, I suppose my surprise out of both of these games was that the Ravens only put up 20 points against a team that much worse teams have scored on for fun. And I think for that reason, I'm going to back the Bills because I think that the Bills will be able to outscore the Ravens, but I'm only backing the Bills by three.
1: I think the Bills will outscore the Ravens as well I'm going to be honest I think the Bills will outscore the Ravens I think that the Ravens showed a lot in this game they won a close playoff game they put some narratives to bed they used Jackson like they used to use Jackson like I mean what he had 130 odd yards
0: yeah and a touchdown
1: but I think that there's kind of there's kind of parts that the Bills can deal with now the Bills secondary has you know been something that's been criticised a little bit The way this Ravens team are playing, I think that that weakness won't get as exposed. It's so hard to call this one. Of all the games that we're going to see at the weekend, I'd say that the Bills-Ravens is probably the hardest one to call. Completely agree. And I I really think it is coin toss. I'm not going to say the same as you. I'm not going to say three points to the Bills, but it's going to be close. It's going to be less than a score, so I'm going to go Bills by six. But look, if the Ravens win, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked at all.
0: Yeah, completely agree. And I think that's going to be a very fun game to watch. I expect that to be quite high scoring.
1: Yeah, I do think that we will see Diggs having a huge game.
0: Then let's talk about the Bucks 31, Washington football team 23. I I love this game. It felt close. And to be honest with you, you have to put a lot of that down to Heinicke. I think. I said last time he was out that he was a clear upgrade on, I think it was Haskins that he replaced at the time. But he stared down the face of the Bucks and kept it to a one-score game despite the fearsome pass rush that they brought against him at times. You know, he ate sacks like a champ and he played aggressively. He went for those deep balls and he kept his team in it. And a question I've got for you, Joe, is... Do you think he's Washington's starter next year? Or do you think the team still need to see a bit more from him before they can commit to him for that role?
1: Well, first off, I just want to say that we're saying some things I got right last week. I think I belittled him a little bit and said that he wouldn't pose too much threat having seen him be backup at the Vikings. So I was definitely wrong on that one. So my apologies to uh, Mr. Heineke. (laughs) Will he be starter next year? For the most part, I'm going to say no, Charles. And the reason for this is I've seen this loads of times kind of previously where a kind of backup comes in a backup plays really well and everyone gets excited about that you know player but he's a backup for a reason and that's again no disrespect to him but if he was you know consistently this good week in week out he wouldn't be a career backup player which is what he is and it's it's very hard to change that kind of opinion of yourself to become a starter even after playing a game like this I'd be more confident saying it if it had gone on like a run of maybe three or four games and had that long to prove it. But even then, yeah. I wouldn't be that certain. So no, I don't think he will be. I think that Washington, unfortunately, have screwed themselves a bit by getting through to the playoffs. You know, had had it been the Giants who got through, then the Giants would be picking, what, 21st in the draft, which I think is where Washington are picking now, and have it harder pick. Whereas the Giants are going to be picking 11th or around then. Now, if Washington were picking just outside the top 10... I think it would be feasible for them to go for a quarterback. You're obviously not getting Lawrence, you're not getting Fields, but there's other quarterbacks who are being touted who they could have possibly got. They're not getting that now. So I still think they will probably get a free agent quarterback and there'll be a few of them knocking around. And so no, so I don't think they will be going with Heineken next year, which is unfortunate because he played a great game, but you don't become a starting quarterback overnight through one good performance, especially when you've been a career backup that long.
0: Hmm. yeah good point
1: so no look most people had the Buccaneers down in their brackets and there was a reason for that and ultimately Tom Brady playing in January it is what it is
0: yeah yeah because Tom Brady was very impressive in this game despite you know the scoreline not being as one-sided as people thought it might be
1: he was and Evans as well when we spoke about him that looked like a bad injury just over a week ago but he came there led the team in yardage 119 yards on t- on 10 targets he did well and Brown as well is chipping in Brown is chipping in week in week out another touchdown from him and he came up with a couple of clutch plays there so Antonio Brown definitely repaying some of the faith that the team and Tom Brady have had in him yeah
0: right and then we move on finally to our last game of the wild cards to discuss the Saints 21 the Bears 9 and Joe I just think thank God for Nickelodeon on this one I was honestly, <laughs> I was struggling to remain interested, which I know is a really bad thing to say. But the Bears' offense was so flat. That whims drop was massive for the Bears and potentially could have changed the look of the game. But even outside of that, Mitch wasn't great. He, he wasn't awful, but there was just nothing happening all night. And I appreciate that he was playing a good defense in the Saints, but 19 of 29 for 199 yards and a touchdown. It's just not playoff quality, is it?
1: No. This game kind of makes things harder because aside from the Ravens-Bills game, which we talked about, and it's going to be very close, the other game that I do have is really close this week, and I'm not sure how it's going to go either way, is Saints-Bucks. And I don't really feel that we've seen the Saints at full gas here. I feel they went through the emotions a little bit. Thomas was fit, but he's still kind of like, you know, he's not played a full season. This was almost like a... A preseason game kind of for him, really. He was coming back into it, waking up a little bit. I think that this giant is yet to wake up. It would have been nice to see the Saints challenge a little bit more to kind of give us more of an indication how the Bucks game against them will go this week. But everything you said there against the Bears there, really, I can't disagree with at all. A couple of things. The Montgomery run game has returned to being terrible. 31 yards off 12 carries. I was surprised they didn't go with Cordero or Patterson in the run game a little bit more. We've seen Cordero patterson run the ball at times this season and it's been very effective. And I don't know why they've gone away from that because David Montgomery isn't capable of leading this team as a bell cow. He's just not got that kind of consistency. So I think they should have gone for some different looks. And I think they only gave Cordero patterson one carry in the game. Would have liked to have seen him more. With Wims drop, as you say, he was big. And I mean, Trubisky put that on a plate for him. There were rumors going into this game that had Trubisky not put in a long deep playoff run which let's be honest he was probably never going to do they weren't going to retain him next year so that might be the last time that we see Trubisky in a Bears shirt
0: hey more for the Bears Joe because Trubisky was named the Nickelodeon, valuable Nickelodeon MVP. <laughs> so yeah. forevermore he will be known as MVP winner Mitch Trubisky
1: yeah, how many MVPs have you got, Patrick Mahomes? Yeah. How many MVPs have you got, Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> yeah.
0: Came with a little trophy and everything.
1: I saw it, I saw it. Um, And probably the highlight of a Nickelodeon broadcast of all those children at home was Cordell Patterson dropping the F-bomb like in a third oh, quarter. Yeah. <laughs> in stunning 8K HD, dropping the <laughs> huge F-bomb to the ref. Just as a small aside here, I think about the uh, Nickelodeon broadcast. I didn't watch it. or I've just seen clips. But all power to it. Like, you know, if it gets kids more into sport with all the distractions that are out there, absolutely great.
0: (laughs) So we've touched on it a little bit then. Bucks versus Saints. What are your thoughts on this? You go first this time.
1: I'm going to go first this time. This, I feel, of all my Prudos, is the one that's most likely to be my bracket breaker. So I'm nervous saying this. But I feel that the Saints have got the number of Tampa Bay. I think they're in Brady's head. The first game that these guys played, I mean, the Saints absolutely took the pants down of the Buccaneers and schooled them for the whole game. Like, the first half was position one, touchdown. Position two, touchdown. Position three, touchdown. possession four, they fumbled it, but then got it back and scored a touchdown. And they were constantly scoring on them. And I think that was without Thomas. And I think that was a game as well where Breeze actually broke his ribs towards the end. But didn't realise till the week after. The Buccaneers will probably be better, of course they will. It's playoff football. But I just feel that this Saints team, everything is clicking at the right time now, and they haven't unleashed the beast properly yet. Michael Thomas had 73 yards, but there's more to come from him. The Saints by a score.
0: Oh, I wish you hadn't said that, Joe. You've got you've got me twisted and turning here. I agree with you. I think it could be close. I think it's going to be on a knife edge. This was a matchup that I wasn't expecting because I called my brackets incorrectly. So I, I never got to the point where I thought who'd win out of Saints versus Bucks. So I've got Saints in my bracket and I'm not changing them because I want that score multiplier. But I've been thinking it and mulling it over and everything you said logically makes sense. The Saints have beaten the Bucks twice and not just snuck wins, properly beating them twice but I just think that the Saints looked a little bit flat against the Bears. And I know the Bears have got a very good defense, but the Bucs are the number one run defense in the NFL. And I just think playoff Brady, if that defense can lock down Kamara, I think the Bucks could have enough to do them here. And so for that reason, I'm going to go Bucks by three
1: okay but they've had two chances to do it this season and they haven't
0: they have you're absolutely right yeah i'm going to be on the podcast next week saying the theme this week is should i listen to joe
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a rerun i'm absolutely milking it because it's been the only kind of week where i've been right in most of the things i've said and i've been wrong in a lot of stuff but i'm going to milk it for all it's worth it leads (laughs) us nicely on to our next point though so just to finish off with we're really pleased with everyone who's entered the bracket competition Great to see so many entries, great to see our listeners getting involved. I might be leading it right now, but I have the Saints as my Super Bowl winners. So if the Saints lose at the Bucks, then this bracket competition is wide open because my multipliers are destroyed. So don't give up. Change your teams if your team's got knocked out in the first round and stay involved. I think we've got to say a massive shout out to Karen G. Karen G, you missed the first game but then went five out of five for the next game. So you're definitely right on my coattails there, along with, I think, Chris and Gav. Is that right, Charles?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's you at the top with a perfect bracket, then Karen G, as you mentioned, who's actually called everything correct, just missed that first game, who's on level pegging with both Chris and Gav, who also just got one wrong. So all of you are doing better than I am. I've got a lot of making up to do. And I just want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Kenneth from Scotland he got in touch with us via Instagram this weekend shared some great photos that he had of the AT&T Stadium at Dallas we had a bit of a chat with him about Dallas's seasons it was really really great so you know keep getting in touch you can find us on Twitter which is at playsheetsports you can find us on Facebook which is also playsheetsports and you can find us on Instagram which is at Podcast. Of course, there's our website, playsheetpodcast.com. And if you're watching the game and you're looking for anybody to chat to, just a reminder that Joe does live tweeting of the games on our Twitter account. So head on over there, get a little bit of interaction. I think he got the Bills Mafia absolutely pumping last weekend. So you'll find him there. He's always ready for a chat and uh, you can have a little bit of fun, get involved, comment on some of the games.
1: Great. Well, look, like I said, this is probably the last few seconds I can milk being right from last week. I'm just going to do it once more. Feels great. Going to go back to being wrong next week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll probably edit all this out. Until then, Joe.
1: <laughs> See you later, Charles.